0: Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio, doing another podcast in the house today, knocking around in the kitchen. And sometimes when we're out and about, we describe what we're looking at and what the weather's like. So I'm just going to describe our house for a change. <laughs> our kitchen, then the house that we bought a few years ago, is seven metres long, which is one of its unusual features. And it has two chandeliers left by the previous owners, which <laughs> you they're a little bit odd. Every time we uh, reach our hands over our heads for whatever reason, we end up getting tangled in them, but we're far too lazy to do anything about it. So the chandelier is a stain. One of the things I like about the kitchen, which I also don't like about the kitchen, is it's incredibly dark. We always have the lights on and uh, credit to our chandelier hanging previous owners they <laughs> actually made the lighting in the kitchen very nice the lighting mm. is very low it's like just above the countertops and there's a little light over the sink and just above the cooker
1: mm. and
0: it does have a nice atmosphere in it because of the way that they've lit it and it feels often like i'm mean, mm. in a cozy spaceship that's what it feels yeah, it like does,
1: yeah. It's a good usable kitchen, I <laughs> It's
0: think. a good usable kitchen think, as well. And, and,
1: and plenty, <laughs> so, plenty of space, which I always think you want yeah, in the kitchen. It's an yeah.
0: excellent room for pacing up and down in, which <laughs> both of us like to do. In fact, whilst we've been discussing what we were going to talk about, we, we were both, just, pacing, we were up both pacing up and down in the kitchen.
1: <laughs> well, w- yeah. walking and, think in, so, walk so in and they're, thinking, so they definitely go important. together, which is why we do our stuff Yeah, uh, on the hill when we can. But today yeah. we, we're, it's we're, really, we're working around weather. not really a weather.
0: hillside day today, is it? No, we're working around
1: We're working around weather and time and all the rest of it.
0: So, what are we going to delight your ears with today? You may be wondering. Well, (laughs) we've been talking quite a lot about slogans and how incredibly poisonous they can be and absolutely out of control, leading to huge, huge damage of not only humanity, but... The rest of the world and all life on the planet, um, and how they uh, they do have an incredible knack to boil something down into a three-word slogan like mm. Mm, "Get Brexit done," which roughly translates means "completely trash Britain and everybody in it." Um,
1: for for profit and gain. <laughs>
0: for profit and gain. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention the many, many other things. Oh, fake news. Yeah, to be I described in the we Do you or we, Le- don't, or we don't want to listen to experts anymore.
1: That's right, yeah. I rem- rem- remember Liz Truss, remember her? <laughs> okay. What was hers? <laughs> oh, growth, growth, growth. Oh, you yeah. Know.
0: Well, that one didn't last long. Like, like an
1: ingrowing toenail. That's yeah, precisely I we what we had, you had wanted the, uh, to the anti.
0: She invented the anti growth coalition yeah. as the external enemy, which in- incidentally was the tofu eating wokarate. <laughs> but anyway, some of it's funny, but some of it's fucking awful. Let's, let's be fair. It's led to utter masques uh, of people. Just a. Yeah, it's pure manipulation. So today we just wanted to talk about that, coming at it from number of angles, uh, exploring yeah. it a little bit. I mean, you might be feeling, ah, oh, yeah, I don't need to listen to that. I can, I can look at the, the the headline in the Daily Mail and instantly see how that's trying to manipulate me, and it has no effect, which is great. But unfortunately, to all the people around you, um, family, friends, you know, they could be swallowing it whole. And like us, sometimes you could feel a bit like. <laughs> Oh, this, you feel got a bit angry and powerless to be able to point out Mm. to people in a way which helps them to actually see through these, these slogans and they're, and they're just, they're swallowing it and you can actually see it poisoning them. You've been quite uh, (laughs) annoyed by this subject this morning, haven't you? Thus, the well, podcast today it, it it's been, did, it been does. certainly concerning you. So, it, um, mm. what what angle do you want to start well, with? Does, how it we're going to tackle
1: this? It. It, it, does, it does disturb me, and uh, I mean, what you've outlined is the ge- the general case of the uh, the pair of sloganeering and, and um, propaganda, basically. The, the, the slogan is the unit of propaganda, and it, yeah. it, it does overall have a a nefarious effect on our society and and the future of our species, indeed. So I am concerned about it. But I've lighted on one example to keep it simple. And I've I've been thinking about Elon Musk's statement that he's a a free speech absolutist. Um, And when he bought Twitter for $44 billion, he uh, readmitted Donald Trump, who'd been banned from Twitter, even while he was president, Trump didn't take up the uh, the invite. He's got his own outfit going, but nevertheless, he was reinvited. And, and of course, that, that monster Andrew Tate, you know, who, who'd been banned for obvious reasons, is, is allowed back on.
0: Truly awful um, person, if um, so,
1: so, um, I was say. So, I'm going to have to say at this juncture, I, I'm, I, I'm pretty well like a free speech person. I'm pretty much for people doing and saying what they like with the caveat that you don't hurt other people. And if you, listen, if you go back over our podcast, you will find a podcast on free speech in which I think I've come up with the, the pros and the cons, you know, and, and, in, uh, and, and in which I point out that this is not a simple problem. We cannot reduce it to slogans. It's a very, very nuanced and difficult problem. That is what I want to say uh, uh, about, about slogans in general generally disguise the true complexity of, of a matter. You know, and yet we swallow it. And we even have, a, like, a philosophical principle, you know, in simplicitas veritas. It's Occam's razor, I suppose, you know, which says, uh, you know, in simplicity is the truth. Well, it's not true. In, simplic- in simplicity lies mostly the slogan. And... So I'm, that is what I'd want you to take away from this and take it away as an item in your toolkit to, to 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 think well, where are the nuances here, you know where, where are the tensions where are the the difficulties that that, that, it's, that, that, that almost seem to defy our ability to find, to think a way through you know and and, and for us to to acknowledge. The, the hubris of imagining you can condense the world and our life and our life experiences down to three and four word slogans, you know. But with the specific instance of free speech absolutism, now the one objection to my mind to free speech absolutism is, is one that sounds very technical to start with, and and a matter of ab- abstruse and. Uh, As a matter of abstruse philosophy, with which most people will not be acquainted, and probably never will be acquainted. So, (laughs) even though I'm going to, when I explain it, you'll say that what what we've got here is a fairly straightforward and and useful idea, and that idea is, is is the performativity of speech acts. This is an idea put forward by Austin in somewhere in the middle of the 20th century. But it's kind of preempted by uh, David Hume in the 18th century and uh, by Nietzsche in the 19th century uh, in a kind of slightly roundabout way. Now, I've got to say here again uh, that I'm not going to just lift Austin's idea as is. I'm actually going to b- borrow it, tweak it, modify it play with it, uh, and develop my own uh, way through this this uh, this story. And I have to say that, you know, f- f- philosophy is creative. Even though when we create, we very often plunder the canon. We look at what other people have thought. We lift their ideas. We, we put them to different uses for which they were intended. And uh, sometimes we invert them and twist them and chop them around and stuff like that. That is a part of our creativity. Uh, 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 and just like many artists, you know, we plunder our respective canons. So bear in mind that that's what I'm doing. Uh and even this has a technical name. It's called strong textualism. Anyway, uh, what is performativity? In, in Austin's view, it was the, the the notion that a speech act, in other words, saying something, isn't necessarily just descriptive, and that a large number of speech acts are actually Acts in their own right. Other than just the speaking, the moving of the lips, the uttering of the sounds. Acts in their own right. The common example, of course, is the promise. You you make a promise and something has happened. An action has been performed. A promise has been made. And you will be expected to keep it. It has real-world consequences. Another is perhaps a judge passing a sentence. That is a speech act. You know or somebody issuing an order to in the army to a, a subordinate or something of that type so it's kind of pretty obvious that the, the these these are um items of speech that 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 go beyond simply describing the world it's not the cat sat on the mat it is I swear before God and the king to do my duty yeah now, Austin is, becomes very concerned to taxonomise speech acts, sentences you might say. And he expands it uh, over time, he expands his classification system. And so you've got locutionary sentences, somewhat like the cat sat on the mat, illocutionary, and perilocutionary. And he, he started developing this. The taxonomy of speech acts he then found that actually he was on a bit of a hiding to nothing because they slide over into each other these are our, our friendly fuzzy boundaries again
0: what a poor guy because you probably put loads and loads of work he, he into did,
1: that he did put a lot of work into it yeah but it, it, it turns out that, it, uh, that the approximation is actually incredibly useful and uh, unlike austin i don't want to go off into this taxonomising direction I think uh, Wittgenstein is still our man in this respect. You know, don't taxonomise, look, look at each case. You know, and Austin, uh, obviously, it's, Wittgenstein sparked all this off for him, but uh, he did have to admit that, that the pure taxonomising with the very hard boundaries, in fact, the sloganeering, you might say, uh, uh, of his speech acts theory, was, um, was going to be self-defeating. Doesn't matter, we've got something very useful there, because it is, it is a truism, isn't it, that certain things that we say, and this is the bit that Austin doesn't emphasise, but nature does, certain things that we say change the world, or are capable of changing the world. And I would say a, a promise ch- changes the world, you know, because you, you then in the future will have to do something in, in the world, pay a debt. Now, nature relates promise keeping to civilized living itself. He, he thought that, that in, in, in the state of nature, you know, which is again a very crude idea. That, but but that earlier on in our prehistory, human beings weren't very good at remembering things, and that means they weren't very good at keeping promises because they did. If you're going to keep a promise, you need to remember. You need to have a good memory. You need to remember that you promised. You need to remember that your debt is due on the thirty-first of the month and pay off the premium. Otherwise, in the real world, somebody will come and take a pound of flesh. And nature actually gives this example: the pound of flesh. So we see that uh, where where Austin didn't go, where he went off into this technical taxonomising of speech acts, nature had already gone in taking the promise out into the world, in his analysis of the promise, seeing its extension out into the world, and in fact into social life as we know it. And all of our modern capitalist social life is based on the promise. It's based on the contract, which of course is a formalised kind of promise, without which none of our commerce, um, none of our institutions and so on, would work at all. We wouldn't have civilised living without the promise. I mean, Nietzsche makes the point that, therefore, culture has the job of making human beings remember rather more than they would do if they were just left to their own devices. So then, hence you get child-rearing patterns are such that they... and educational patterns are such that they're designed to produce adults who can keep promises so that we may live a civilised life. And the way to do this was actually through pain, through inflicting pain on children. You know, and if we, and this is like tribal scarring and circumcision, initiatory rites, they're, they're means of making sure people remember. For instance, with a tribal scar, who they are, what tribe they belong to. You belong to the tribe that puts three scars under the left eye, all right Through the pain, you actually traumatise people, as we know, a trauma is a memory that won't go away through trauma we are taught not to forget not to be forgetful and it's a very very impressionistic story that nature tells there is no chapter and verse there is no detailed history there's not like the great sort of Hobbes-Bohmian attention to detail uh, it, it's very—it's not even history. It doesn't even call it history. It's genealogy. It's in, deliberately impressionistic because it's—it's a, it's a counter narrative to what's going on, designed to to disrupt what is going on. So we need to understand that, that about that story. Well, just in passing, somebody else who's picked picked up the notion of performativity to a great effect, I think, is John Searle who uh, analyses just civilised life itself in in, in the light of an analysis of the performativity of speech acts. Uh, That's worth looking into. It's quite impressive. So uh, so we have this, this, this idea that certain types of speech acts, certain ways of talking, certain things that can be said... Have an impact on the real world. now the, the free speech absolutist presupposition, it seems to me, is that no harm will come from free, free speech other than people getting offended. And I think this is where they slip up and and then uh, they imagine that that the stuff that the hate that people pour out in Twitter, for instance, the misogyny that gets pro- pro- propagandised for and influences young men te- and teenage boys is somehow, is somehow just vapour that once it's uttered it might, it might sort of like upset a few old fuddy-duddies on the way out but quickly evaporates and dissipates into the atmosphere. This is what the, the, the notion of the Performative Speech Act and how important that is in social living and not just so much vapor that evaporates into the air but actually the po- it
0: sticks doesn't it
1: well it, it depends yeah. who says it obviously yeah. but somebody with 2.4 million followers on twitter mm. you know and what and what elon musk doesn't realize is that demagoguery is very dangerous and very powerful but free speech would allow demagoguery now i, I again I, you know I, I i kind of err on the side of saying well let people say it let people say it you know but one has to be very, very, very careful and circumspect. To, you know, yeah. um,
0: because also it's good, everyone has to remember that you know this free speech is going into the ears of very young people with no filters.
1: Well, I tell, well, just, just, they, they, just, just, in many cases, just ready. Well,
0: to… Well, there's older people with no filters. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, people in people in general, as we know, fairly easily taking in, which is very unfortunate. I mean, somebody said that fa- fascism is um, bad people mobilising stupid people, and I think I think that as 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 the actual logistics of it is is that is what it is. Yeah. Bad people mobilising stupid people—the
0: yeah. kind of bad, clever, right. Bad
1: clever people, you know. Yeah. And, and and if that sounds elitist, I mean, fuck it. We have to.
0: Yeah, these days they don't even need to have to be that clever, really, do they? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, no. So I well, think this get is
0: Brexit done for God's sake it wasn't oh, yeah. like a s- real stroke of genius
1: was no. it <laughs> And that, incidentally they still haven't done it because the actual the the rules are not being applied are they no. So that we so that we do get our organic carrots from Spain still sometimes When test cars can get older. Yeah,
0: but the last time they actually made some checks at the border, 21 out of the 22 lorries that they checked had food that was not fit for human consumption, and there has been a rash of really serious food poisoning, so uh, I wouldn't really eat meat that much that's been imported, because what's happened is, because there are no checks at the border,
1: they're putting the shit meat in there and yeah, s- s- flog it, it to the if, line. Because is.
0: Their, their line was, um, it won't matter because the... Uh the Standards the EU f- food safety standards are so high we can just bring it in from the EU and it'd be fine. But if it's if a farmer's got some meat that's gone off and it and really wants to sell it, where are they going to send it? Well, they're going to send it to the country that doesn't check any of the lorries as they come in, aren't they? So we're yeah. going to get all the shit food. So be a bit yeah. careful, folks.
1: Well, there's a meat- no, there's a no specific example of the, 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 the deleterious effect and a very serious deleterious effect of sloganeering. And that really is my point in this short podcast, is is to show how an analysis of of our language can help us to get purchase on the situation that we're in, which is in one in which demagoguery is rife, uh, empowered by... massively powerful and far-reaching information technology whilst at the same time large swathes of it being owned and controlled by billionaire oligarchs and heading remorselessly to the conclusion that that, that slogans can't be trusted that if, if if it seems simple it's probably not true so i put it to you that a good item to have in your toolkit is the understanding that a public discourse is, is full of oversimplifications that, in virtue of being oversimplifications, are misleading to us. This, and this applies, in this case, obviously, to the issue, the deep issue of free speech, but also into pretty, pretty well every other item of culture war and war over economic theories that... That's, ...in the process of forming our future at this very moment.
0: Whilst Pete was reading me some philosophy over breakfast... ...because I'm a very lucky girl... Uh, ...he read me this <laughs> line which uh, from Nietzsche... ...which I, I wanted him to share with you... ...so can you read that out?
1: Well, Nietzsche talks about the, the cruelty... ...with which uh, human beings in society... ...are turn from creatures that forget very easily... To creatures that remember rather well, so that they may keep promises, so that they may therefore pay their debts, so that uh, civilised life is a possibility. But notice the whole thing then, in, in, on Nietzsche's that uh, the whole question of civilization is based in and empowered by cruelty. Simply cruelty. Anyway, I just noticed this uh, aside in. in uh, the second essay of the genealogy of morals, which is where Nietzsche sort of works out all this stuff. And he just put this in brackets as an aside. And I'm going to read it too, because it won't make you laugh. And all religions are, at their deepest foundations, systems of cruelty.
0: <laughs> good old Nietzsche, what a good line.
1: Yeah. Well, you can be relied on for cracking cracking lines, you know. Um, but they're not... Uh, they're not slogans exactly. They're rather more nuanced and rather more pregnant yeah, than well your he average. He does, does
0: kind of write writes about a million books explaining kind of why, doesn't he? Yeah. So he doesn't just leave it at the one line of it. No, no. It's a great line. Anyway, so I hope you enjoyed being uh, in our kitchen with us today. I've just chopped a load of vegetables because we're having a very exciting meal of tofu and vegetables this evening, as well, we usually do.
1: Well karate, <laughs>
0: Because we are the karate. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you found that interesting. Very soon we're hoping to do a live talk, just uh, like we used to do when we were back at the Parkdale Yoga Center, but we're gonna do it online. So hopefully uh, you will all be able to come. So watch this space for notifications of live events in the future. We we are gonna do it. We're slowly working our way around to doing uh, an online talk, which hopefully we'll be able to include uh all you guys from different parts of the world and uh, our, our old crowd as well from used to come to our talks at the parkdale yoga center back in the day so it'd be nice to have us all together in one place so very soon we will be announcing that and hopefully see you there
1: mm. make knowledge great again over and out